You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If, 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 if your blood runs orange and blue, orange and blue, blue this, this is the pod, is the pod for, you. for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Monster win for the New York Knicks, and congrats to Julius Randle. This is DJ Stewart, joined by Tommy Beer, your two favorite All-Stars who have never been snubbed in any uh, podcast listening or podcast ranking when it comes to All-Star podcasts. This is the uh, Orange and Blue Blood podcast, Odyssey podcast hosted by WFAN and Odyssey Sports. A lot to get to on this episode, Tommy. We'll be talking about this monster Knicks win over the Miami Heat, a game that was really weird. Like I, I literally said it out loud when I was watching the game. Like, this is a weird game. Um, the, the swings, the momentum swings, uh, at different times, like either team is going to pull it out, they find a way to get a win. Definitely was not easy. Definitely was not conventional, but they did get the W. Um, so we'll talk about that win. We will talk about the All-Star Reserve. Julius Randle will be headed to Salt Lake City for the All-Star game. But Jalen Brunson will not. We'll tell you guys whether or not he was snubbed when it came to who was picked ahead of him. And as we record this podcast Friday at around 2 p.m., some breaking news kind of dropped right as we were about to record. That's not necessarily in the Knicks orbit per se, but it's such a monster NBA story that I feel like we'll have to get to it. So we'll be talking about that at the end of the show. And plenty of get to, telling to get to. It should be a fun one. Tommy Beer, of course, my co-host. How you doing, man? Uh, doing well, doing well. Always something in hashtag this league. Um, yeah. crazy game last night, as you mentioned, a, a crazy chaotic game in what has been a crazy chaotic season with ups and downs and twists and turns seemingly, uh, every night, every game, uh, we got another one. And then we got some news, um, via Woj and Shams that Kyrie Irving wants out of Brooklyn. Surprise, surprise. He's, uh, causing some waves uh, with his new team. So we got plenty to discuss my friend. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. And like I said, this is Orange Blue Bloods, an Odyssey original that you can find wherever you get your podcasts, including the free Odyssey app. Make sure you hit the auto download feature on your streaming service so you can get these episodes whenever we drop. This is the final episode of this week. We drop three times a week. Also, be sure to check out our uh, YouTube videos as well. This is a podcast that is posted on the Odyssey Sports YouTube channel. So if you want to get the visual combined with the audio, make sure you head up to the YouTube channel, uh, Odyssey Sports so you can catch us there. But let's begin with this 
uh, Knicks win. So playing without their starting point guard, Jalen Brunson, who missed uh, Thursday night's game with a non-COVID illness, the Knicks notched one of their most important wins of the season. New York squeaked by the Miami Heat, 106-104. It was a seesaw battle. saw a big run by both teams. New York would go up double digit in the fourth quarter. But surprise, surprise, Miami hung tough, kept the game close, kept it very interesting down the stretch. The Knicks made some major blunders in the last minute of this game that almost gave Miami a chance to win. They did have a chance to win at the at the buzzer. Tyler Hero missed a corner three that hit back iron that allowed the Knicks to secure this one. The Knicks were led by R.J. Barrett, who had a bounce back performance after his benching against Los Angeles. He had 30 points in this game. Newly minted all-star drillers, Julius Randle added 23 and 10. For the Heat, Bam Adebayo, who was spectacular last night. I mean, Ben, man, you want to talk about a guy who cemented why he needs to be an all-star, why he was an all-star? Bam was sensational. He had 32 in this one in the loss for Miami. New York now is 28 and 25 on the season. One game back of the coveted sixth seed that is currently held by the Miami Heat. So this was a very important win as the Knicks kind of start off this head-to-head duel with the Heat moving forward. Um, they have three more games left to go in this season, so plenty more matchups that could be critical for that sixth and final clinched playoff spot. You have the play-in situation where you can still get into the playoffs, but, of course, you've got to win some some uh, some high-intense, high-leverage games in order to get in. So you want to get that sixth spot and avoid that situation. So, Tommy, how did the Knicks pull this one off without Jalen Brunson? Huge win for the Knicks. An ugly win but a win nonetheless, as we've said many times this season. Um, yeah. On uh, April 9th or whatever date the season ends, they're not going to ask you how many how, how they looked. And it, there's no uh, aesthetically pleasing category. There's just W's and L's, and the Knicks yeah. got a W yesterday. Um, obviously, Julius Randle played really well. Um, we'll discuss him at, in length um, a little bit later in the second segment yeah. when we talk a little bit about the All-Star stuff. Big game for, for obviously, R.J. Barrett. Um, bounce back after getting benched the end of the um, final 12 minutes of, of uh, uh, regulation and into overtime uh, Tuesday against the Lakers. I'm going to take it a little bit different, though. I'm going to start yeah. two minutes left in the third quarter. Jimmy Butler hits a, hits a layup. Heater up 69-66. Three-point lead, two minutes left in the third. Nick fans are nervous, and they should be. Because the Knicks bench, and obviously, you know, with, with two, you know, ten minutes into the into the second half, you, it's about time you got to start yanking starters. Randall's running out of gas. Um, you know, Barrett's slowing down, and the Knicks bench was badly outplayed in the first half. Miami outscored Miami reserves outscored the Knicks reserves twenty to five, outscored them by fifteen points. Mm. And this shouldn't be surprising because when IQ played really well as a starter replacing Brunson earlier in the season, but the bench is abominable without, uh, when yeah. you don't, especially when you take IQ out. Even with yeah. IQ in the lineup as, as their most productive bench player, um, they're near the bottom of the league in, in most uh, statistical categories. When you slide IQ into the starting lineup, now you're really at a deficit there. So I'm thinking Knicks down three, two minutes to go in the third. Is Miami really going to go on a run here and put this game out of reach? As it turns out, the opposite happens. Yeah. Uh, Deuce McBride knocks down a big three-pointer. Pair of free throws from iHeart. Pair of free throws from Evan Fournier. Knicks go up by five. Uh, take that lead in the fourth quarter. First possession, fourth quarter, Obi hits a three. Uh, a minute later, Deuce, another big three. 
next two in, in, over the next couple of Knicks possessions, Obi hits a nice little fadeaway from 15 feet out near the foul line, and then gets a layup um, with uh, so so with about six minutes, uh, eight minutes left in the fourth quarter. Knicks are up 90 to 81. As we know, the Knicks need some breathing room. Uh, they because they're going to give back some points um, in in the in the fourth quarter. Um, and Miami, as it happens, is one of the best come from behind teams in the fourth quarter um, in the entire league. I think it's nine games they've won when when trailing by double digits. Um, so they, they 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 have a propensity to fall behind and then come back late. You know, Jimmy Butler, you know, gets focused and, and et cetera. Um, so to me, obviously, we'll talk about the crazy final minutes and possessions, et cetera. Um, but to me, the Knicks. Had an opportunity, they would have lost that game had they, you know, I, I thought they, and I thought they were, I, if, if you ask me honestly, I thought they probably were going to lose that game in that little six minute stretch there, bridging the the, the end of the third to the start of the fourth. So uh, I thought a, a lot of credit goes to the guys topping McBride, even Fournier had some, yeah, made some shots, you know, played a little bit better defensively. Hardenstein has yeah. been really good, um, continued his solid play of late. Um, so I thought, it, it, oh, I just didn't want it to get lost in the mix, how important that little stretch of time was. Yeah, it was. I mean, like you said, the, the bench got completely washed in that first half. And it looked like, oh, man, whenever this bench comes in, it's going to be a problem. And a lot of people <laughs> saw how the Knicks started off kind of slow in that in that uh, third quarter. And then the bench guys come in and every four days come in. And you're like, oh, man, uh, the Heat may run away with this one now. And they held serve and they really battled. They picked it up defensively. They made some shots when they needed to. So uh, much credit to the bench for picking it up in the second half. I mean, Deuce McBride going three for three, two for Huge. two from three. I mean that's that's massive. I mean you know you're you're not expecting to get anything from Deuce McBride. So you get eight points on three shots, no misses. Uh, you know that's that's awesome. You know two assists I'll, I'll go along with that. That's a huge game. Evan Fournier, terrible defensively still. He made one three, but struggled with his shot. But did have four assists. So he had some assists. He had a big steal that actually led to a foul that allowed him to get some free throws. So. Um, so and at the end of the third quarter, so so he 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 contributed. Uh, he's it's crazy how much he's fallen off from last season, but the fact that he was able to, to contribute something in that in that second half was critical. And like you said, Isaiah Harden signed 10 rebounds off the bench, 29 minutes. It's like I said before, it really does feel like he is starting to play like the player Tibbs wanted him to be. Now it's not his game per se, but the way he's defending the rim, the way he's uh, throwing his body around. Um, the way he's attacking the class, both in the offensive glass and the defensive glass, he had four offensive rebounds in this game. I mean, he was a, he was a beast on the, on the glass. You get four offensive rebounds, twenty nine minutes. That's exceptional. So, uh, credit to the bench. Obi Toppin came in, brought in a lot of energy. So, great job by them. And and real quick, just because you mentioned Obi and, and Hardenstein yeah. there, finally. The, it, Tibbs is using those guys, putting those guys at the nail, which is the center of the free throw, and and uh, against the zone, yep. especially against the zone. It's it's taken them fifty plus games and two plus years, but finally it looks like they figured out a way to beat the zone, get the ball into the middle of the floor, and have those guys spray the ball out towards the corners. Um, and and both of those guys had took turns in at least a couple of possessions. And and Miami plays a ton at zone, and the Knicks were relatively yep. effective against it last night. So hopefully we'll see that going forward. Yeah, that was critical because we know how much the Knicks have struggled with zone defense. And here you're playing against maybe the best zone defense in the league. I mean, Miami plays zone regularly, essentially. And they're they're one of the best defensive teams in the league. So, like, I mean, this seemed like a terrible matchup. Once Miami started sitting in that zone and you saw what happened in the first half, you're like, oh, here we go again. 
And second half, they seem to have something for Miami. We saw Harden sign and, and, and Toppin, as you mentioned, be effective in that nail position. Toppin hit a turnaround fadeaway. Harden sign made some plays from there, whether he dishing it out or scoring. So credit to Tibbs for making that adjustment finally after, again, two years of watching this nonsense of them being able to score, not being able to score against zones. We talk about the play of R.J. Barrett. I got to say, I, I really think he deserves a lot of credit. Now, it was not a perfect game. He did have five turnovers um, defensively, I thought. He kind of he kind of killed the Knicks in the start of that fourth quarter because they got up and he made some defensive lapses on Tyler Hero. Actually, it might be in the third quarter, actually. Um, Hero made three straight threes. Uh, two of them were R.J. Barrett just seemingly either slow to react or not paying attention to Hero. And that allowed the Heat to kind of get quickly right back into the game. Uh, Hero went on a 9 0 run by himself. So Barrett had some struggles defensively. But I want to stress the positive because when you have a game like you had against Los Angeles where he was killing the Knicks defensively, where his offense was hit or miss, to say the least. To come back against a, another really good team in Miami, a game where everybody's looking at you because you didn't talk to the press, you talked about, you, you made it clear that you were unhappy with how that other game ended. To finish with 30 points, to help close this game out, it wasn't a great last minute of the game once the Heat switched Jimmy Butler onto him. And I think he's got to be better at anticipating how the Heat are going to defend him differently once he gets going. Um, they started blitzing the screens more. They were trying hard, to their credit, to get the switch on to Tyler Hero. Um, Jimmy Butler and the Heat, knowing how to play defense and being as uh, seasoned as they are, they did not allow RJ to get those switches, and it caused some possessions where they didn't really get much out of them. Um, but up until that point, he had some big bastards to keep the Knicks ahead of me. Some of these finishes, the left-hand finish, I know he's left-handed, but some of these finishes where he's, like, diving into the crowd almost and scooping it up and getting it in. I mean, he was spectacular he didn't make any three-pointers but his ability to to continue to attack the paint and realize that but there was Kyle Lowry guarding him which was a bizarre decision by Eric Spolcher to me to start the game I think that helped hard to get into a rhythm he's playing against a guy who's 6-1 if he's lucky um or Tyler Hero some of these matchups he knew these guys were food you know Gabe Vince is a decent defender but Gabe Vince is a 6-2 so he just taking these guys into the paint he was bullying them all night and he had a really big game so I, I definitely want to give R.J. Barrett his flowers because the Knicks needed this one. He was the best player on the floor for the Knicks. Bayern was the best player overall. But R.J. Barrett, they wouldn't have won this game without him for sure. Um, R.J., a huge bounce back game. The thing you like about Barrett, and you liked it since the second he got here, is he'll play awful for 47 minutes and hit a big bucket down the stretch. He'll miss his first seven shots, feel confident taking his eighth. Um, he'll have a bad month and come back with a great three weeks. Um, uh, uh, Tibbs talked about it after the game. The thing I love about RJ is I always believe he's going to bounce back. Um, and, and that's what we saw um, after that game. So credit to him. Um, as you know, there were some some defensive deficiencies, um, which unfortunately we've come to expect at this point. The hero, yeah. hero 9 0 run was incredibly frustrating. Barrett dies on a screen. Sims goes into drop coverage. Um, yeah. and they also gave up an easy three pointer to Struess when you can't give up a three pointer. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk yeah. about that in the, in the closing seconds. Um, but the so you know, RJ was. Uh, a net minus one in the game. He was the only starter that that posted a net, you know, a plus minus negative. Um, but like you said, the uh, and he then he did have those turnovers in the closing seconds. But the Knicks yeah. wouldn't have been in a position to win, you know, to 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 give up those turnovers and still win if it, he didn't put the team on his back offensively in the second half with no Brunson in the lineup. The Knicks knew they needed RJ to step up, and he did just that. 
to me, the key was his approach and his mentality, uh, particularly in the second half. The best version of RJ is the aggressive version of RJ. He can knock down some threes and he'll go through a stretch where he shoots 40% from three, but he's never going to be a knockdown elite three-point shooter. So he's going to have to be, finish better at the rim and just as importantly, attack the rim, get to the free throw line, attack the basket. It's exactly what he did. First half, he was 4'11 from the floor, uh, and not coincidentally, he took four three-pointers and missed all three of them. Second half, made a clear, determined effort to attack the 10. He took 12 shots in the second half. 11 of them were in the paint. 10 of them were right at the rim. Um, he made yeah. nine of those short, nine of those shots, scored 20 points on just 12 attempts. Um, that's the RJ that the Knicks need to see. And one other thing, um, because yeah. you mentioned it, I had seen Lowry's. I, I haven't watched a ton of Heat this year. I've you know seen games here and there, and I've seen Lowry's numbers. They look awful, and I've heard Heat fans yep. bellyache um, about you know how how poorly he's played. It did not prepare me for just how washed he looked last night. I mean, he looked <laughs> he looked acid washed, bro. Like he like, I, you made him look like he was in quicksand. You know, trying Barrett going around him yeah. like a traffic cone. Um, I don't know what did he do with that situation. You know, it's funny. You know, we, we'll, we'll talk about the Kyrie and so, can they yeah. get can they get some type of point guard? You know, if anybody's in a Heat culture can turn Kyrie around. I don't know, but um, if you're a Heat fan and you're you know you want to, or if you have a bet on the Heat to make a run of the final or something like that, you got to hope that they address that point guard position um, because that is that maybe you know again maybe Lowry's dealing with a little nagging injury. Um, you know, yeah. he, he just didn't play his best game. We will see the heat three more times over the next two months. Um, but that was not, uh, encouraging from a, from a heat fan perspective. Yeah. I, I felt like the Kyrie, the, the Kyle Lowry signing, I thought was highly overrated when it happened. And then the, the comments that happened, I actually got some, some heat, no pun intended from, I think Heat fans when I tweeted, like it, it, at the end of the season, you know, they lost and Lowry was not good in the playoffs and. Uh, you know, Eric Spolster's up there saying, you know, well, you know, we know next year he's going to get in the best shape of his life and we expect a, a different Kyle Lowry. And I'm like, and maybe he just has to say that, but that sounded so delusional to me, even in June when he's talking about that, that I, I actually had to like do a double take. I'm like, Kyle Lowry's like 36, 37. How are you expecting him to get into the best shape of his life at this point in his career and turn into the old Kyle Lowry? And watching that game on Thursday night, it was wild because we've seen Kyle Lowry a lot. He plays in, he played a long time in the Atlantic Division against the Knicks. So you're watching him four times a year. He's an Iron Man. He's a guy who usually plays every night, doesn't miss a lot of games. And I mean, he usually kills the Knicks. So anytime, you know, Lowry gets the ball, typically I kind of already have to kind of hold my breath because I'm anticipating a big three happening somewhere, a big charge happening somewhere. Like he, the, the Knicks never beat Toronto, as we know, <laughs> we've seen this year. And they never beat them when Kyle Lowry was running the point for them. So when Speaking, you watch that he, game that, that night, it was like, what is going on there? He's kind of like that uh, a Heat, you know, another Heat point guard, Tim Hardaway. He always seemed to play his best against yeah. the Knicks. You know, with, and the other thing about Lowry, um, you mentioned the contract. He's making twenty eight point three million this season, and is due another twenty nine point seven million next season. So when you think of value, you know, think about Jalen Brunson getting five million dollars. You know, millions of dollars less than that. Um, it, it, it it goes to show you, and then, and they, it, he'd also have a. Duncan Robinson, the two of those guys combined, Lowry Robinson, will make $48 million next year. And then Robinson still has another two years and $39 million uh, left on his deal. So um, Pat Riley, uh, you hate to see it for such a nice guy, seems to be a little bit of a <laughs> out there down in South Beach.
Yeah, yeah, very humble, very yeah, trustworthy yeah, yeah. guy, Pat Riley. Right. Um, yeah, he's definitely made some mistakes that this hard to erase right now for this team. And you know, I guess credit to him that he's able to kind of find some replacements, whether right. it be a Max yeah. Drews, whether some of these unheralded guys that they find. They it seems like these guys just fall off a, a, a you know fall off a truck somewhere, and they give him a heat uniform and they can Is contribute. Highsmith was playing yesterday. I'm like, I don't know who this guy is, but he's making plays. It's like, I don't know where they find him. I think it's eight undrafted players in the rotation. If I'm Miami, I'm starting Gabe Vincent, uh, seriously considering starting Gabe Vincent over Lowry at this point, because again, Lowry, we'll, you know, we'll see, but that's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's Gabe Vincent can defend a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a problem. Miami's going to have to address that. And when we talk about, uh, as we wrap this up and hear the, the final minute of this game, I think in some ways, like, this game was very interesting. I'm glad the Knicks won, but it almost felt like this was watching the Knicks of 2021, 2022, or even 2020, 2021, um, where it was essentially, like, them just trying to hold on uh, for dear life, and because they don't have a real point guard, they turn the ball over left and right. Like, Julius Randle had seven turnovers. RJ Barrett had five turnovers. The Knicks, who are a low turnover team, had 17 in this game because a Heat team that can turn you over, because um, that defense, it was the zone and stuff can be confusing, but uh, it was kind of just hold on for dear life, and that's continues to be a problem. Now we've seen even with Jalen Brunson, they've had problems closing games. Now not hasn't necessarily been because of turnovers, as usually just been because the offense has been kind of like meandering. But at last night can, it was like it just, at, at least they can inbound the ball when they have Brunson on the, <laughs> on the court. That, that's that's one benefit of having an actual point guard. Yeah, inbound the ball, things that they can actually do, simple things they can they can simple plays they can make they can they can do even if they don't get good shots. Um, even if it, even if the inbounds is just giving it to Julius Randle in the corner against Anthony Davis, they can at least get the ball in. Um, exactly. And, and one other thing on that closing moments, yeah. and we're going to give Julius some flowers when we talk about his all star yeah. birth. Um, obviously, the turnover is frustrating, but to me. Uh, the maybe the greater sin was dunking the ball with five seconds left after oh, yeah. after that Grimes. If he just dribbles into the corner, game's over. You know, there's know. absolutely no reason to go for a basket right there. Um, you know, and it almost came back to bite him. Yeah, and it's funny because I saw someone tweet that, and like in the moment, like I'm just happy the Knicks are going to secure this win. By the way, a crazy, crazy scenario. The Knicks turn over, he turn over, the Knicks turn over, then they get it back. Crazy scenario. But like you know, Julius finishes with the dunk. You know, it was a it was a, it was a tough, hard fought game. So you think, okay, this is the end. Then someone said, oh, why did he just dribble it out? And then I looked at the replay. There is no heat in the nobody, back. nobody, nobody's near him. Nobody. And there is you know, only about four seconds left. He easy could have just dribbled to the corner, and nobody would have been around him. So yeah, you wish he had a little more wherewithal there. I think the adrenaline of of thinking that right. game was gonna slip away and them getting that steal. Great play, great hustle by Isaiah Hardenstein, who for whatever reason during the season, I think so many times I've seen him not get that loose ball. Yes, like times where it looks like he's just stuck in quicksand. <laughs> Somehow he found the Jets to get to that loose ball, outrunning one of those heat guards um to get it and 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 then made a great play to get it over to Quentin Grimes. Grimes again, maybe should have held it, gave it to Julius, who then dunked the ball. And um, and then look defensively. Again, I, I Clyde said it. I don't know how Struess gets open so easily for that three at the top of the corner, at that top of the key. Like, you you know they need a three, and you know he's a deadly shooter. Like, he's the guy that nobody should be leaving. And if you get picked, you got to switch. Somehow he gets a wide-open look. That didn't make any sense. I also, and I said it during while I was watching the game, I kind of thought, to be honest, RJ's gotten in this position where I'm taking him out in the last position of the game. Like, I, he's guarding Tyler Hero. Why was that? Uh, Tyler Hero is the guy I was probably most afraid of of getting a shot off, and 
who had had his moments against RJ in this game, even though RJ was cooking him as well. Harrow had 20, 25 points in this one. I'm like, why is it deuce in the game? I said it a lot. I'm like, why is it deuce in the game? Like, like to me, like you're trying to win this game. I'm not caring about feelings. You didn't care about feelings against LA. So yep. you, you damn sure shouldn't care about feelings. Now this is a game you absolutely have to win. I'm saying, hey, RJ, you played great. Come sit, stand next to me. If this is goes into overtime, something we'll put you back in. But we need our best defensive players on the floor. I wanted to see Deuce McBride guarding Hero in that possession, not uh, RJ Barrett. And I think it almost cost him because RJ, you know, who I think is a little slow footed. Carol just runs right past him, beats him. He gets screened. Thankfully, Julius was uh, paying attention and was able to get a, a pretty decent contest. But it wasn't like he was all over him. Hero had a good look at that. Yes. He just missed, you know. So um, the end of the end of end of game execution continues to be a problem. But the Knicks did squeak this one out. And they did play extremely hard without their leader uh, Jalen Brunson. So credit where credit is due. Knicks win this one. Like I said, they go to twenty eight and twenty five on the season. One game back of the Miami Heat for the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. So let's talk about All-Star Weekend. Julius Randle is headed to Utah. He was named among the Eastern Conference reserves for the game, but he will not be alongside his point guard for now. Jalen Brunson, who is having a career year for the Knicks, uh, did not make the All-Star game. He was not named among the Eastern Conference reserves. Randall will be joined by Tyrese Halliburton, Bam Adebayo, Joel Embiid, Jalen Brown, DeMar DeRozan, and Drew Holiday. So no Brunson in the East. The West Reserves, of course, were announced as well. John Morant, Shea Gildas-Alexander, DeMontis Sabonis, Lowry Markin, and Jaron Jackson Jr., Damian Lillard, and Paul George were named the West Reserves. Let's start with Jalen Brunson. I will say this. I was very proud of the NBA contingent who seemed to kind of almost unanimously look at him as the, the worst Eastern Conference snub. I did not expect that. I expected to hear a lot of James Harden beef, which you are still hearing. Yes. Um, I expected to hear other players mentioned, but right at the top, Charles Barkley and TNT, when they announced it, said, man, Jalen Brunson not making this. I don't know how that didn't happen. And I go on Twitter and I'm seeing other smart people who I respect in terms of talking about this game, seeing that Jalen Brunson omission and saying, what, what happened there? How, how did he not make it? And I, I said on the last show, I thought that he would make it. I knew it was going to be a tough task because of just how good the guards are in the East. But I got to be honest. I mean, of all the guys that could have been picked ahead of him, I think Drew Holiday being picked ahead of Jalen Brunson is is an abomination. And Drew, look, Drew Holiday is a, is a champion. He's one of the best defensive players in the NBA. And he's a really good player. The Knicks know because he came to the Garden and after shooting miserably for – you know, 40 something minutes, he, the last minute he turned into MJ and was just raining shots from everywhere on the garden and, and stole a win from the Knicks uh, when the Bucks came last to Madison Square Garden. So we know that Drew Holiday is a very good player. But when you compare their numbers, Brunson has more points, he's shooting a higher percentage. And when you think about his impact on his team compared to Drew Holiday, who has missed more games than Jalen Brunson, uh, Jalen Brunson played about seven or eight more games than him. And we know how much Giannis is the engine of the Bucs. I just didn't think it was that imperative that the Bucs got two All-Stars. I know the Bucs have a better record than the Knicks, so you say, well, they're a better team, so maybe we should reward the team with more, uh, with, with more All-Stars. But Jalen Brunson has played better than Drew Holiday this season. And Jalen Brunson has been more valuable to the Knicks in the wins that they have, in my opinion, than I think Drew Holiday has been for the Bucs and their wins. Drew Holiday is a great player. He's very important to the Bucs. But there have been a lot of games he didn't play. The Bucs won, and they were just fine. 
When the Knicks, most of the time, they don't play with Brunson. They look terrible. Like, they won last night, but we forget about that terrible Texas swing where they they, they looked awful in those first two games against Dallas where they couldn't close, and then, uh, and, and then the game against San Antonio where they just looked hapless. Like, when Jalen Brunson doesn't play, the Knicks are a totally different team, and we saw what they were last year without Jalen Brunson. So I, I, I thought that it was terrible that he didn't make it. I think you make case that, you know, DeMar, I had DeMar DeRozan on my team. Like I, I list them out. My thing is I can't complain about what the guys are without listing out my own list. So I had DeMar DeRozan on there, but I, I don't think I would pick DeMar DeRozan over Jalen Brunson. This isn't about who the best players in the NBA are. It is about who are the most deserving players based on individual success and team success. And we look at DeMar DeRozan, how terrible the Bulls have been for most of the season. And what the Knicks have done this season, a team that we suspect or at least was seen coming into the year, they having less talent. I think DeMar DeRozan could have missed, could have missed this All-Star game. I know he's a great player. We know he's king of the fourth. But those two spots going ahead of Jalen Brunson didn't feel right to me. And, and I think it's disappointing that he didn't make it. Yeah, I agree with you, I, I, especially with those two players. I mean, listen, Drew Holiday's a far better defensive player than Brunson, um, and, and the Bucks have such a great record. But as you know, Giannis is the engine that drives Milwaukee. Um, who, who, and Giannis has been on a tear. I don't know if you guys um, have, have, have kept an eye on it, but uh, over the last five games, Giannis is averaging 42.4 points on 60% Incredible. shooting, 50.2 <laughs> rebounds and four assists in 33.4 minutes. Um, I had to check those numbers like four times because I didn't believe it's crazy. Um, yeah. it, it, crazy. Best player on the planet. Um, but yes, a, a, as far as uh, I think he did a good job outlining um, the reasons for Brunson. Um, and again, the one and, and I, I never get too wrapped up in the all-star stuff. Um, I let my guy EJ handle that. Um, the one thing I was surprised about was the lack of importance uh, they seem to put on availability. In other words, Paul yes. George making it over. Um, Anthony Edwards, who's played uh, leads the league in minutes and played every game, and and also De'Aaron Fox, who's been who's been huge yeah. for. Um, again, it's not the best player; it's the player that deserves to be rewarded for the best first half of the 2022-23 season. Um, but yeah, so I, I think EJ obviously did a good job uh, laying out the reasons for Brunson, uh, Brunson's inclusion. Um, like I said, my I think I predicted it on, on our show Tuesday. Randall would make it on the first row. I think Brunson does get in here either as an injury replacement or one of the uh, compensatory picks. You know, when they when they when they choose the extra two extra players. So I think long story short, I think Brunson will be in Salt Lake City um, All Star weekend i don't know how good that is because i honestly part of me would prefer and i think some nick fans would agree that he get four days of rest on a beach somewhere <laughs> yeah. in Cancun. um i don't think it would hurt randall either um but yeah. again those guys have played a, a ton of minutes you know brunson the charges he takes and then the pounding he takes um i wouldn't mind seeing him getting a few days off but um they the, the nba does do a good job of you know days off before the break and then they don't play again to that thursday um so so brunson and it's not like the, the all-star game is taxing in any way but just the travel etc um so yeah. we'll see how that plays out but um for me just you know I, I you know i think we um it's worth taking a few minutes just to and i reflected back on on the newsletter this morning how remarkable the last 12 months for julius randall has been yeah uh, I, I looked at his numbers from January of 2022. So um, obviously last season, he averaged 60 in the month of January, played 14 games, 
uh, averaged 16, point, uh, 16 points while shooting below 41% from the floor and below 25% from three-point territory. Um, a ton of turnovers. The Knicks at, at this point last year were in the middle of a stretch where they lost 14 out of 17 games to ultimately drop 13 games under 500 by early March. Um, it was a lost season and a lost play, you know, and that doesn't even, and the production doesn't even tell the full story of just how detrimental his um, Randall's attitude and body language and, and, and barking were. Um, and it, so for him to, to, you know, 12 months later to be in the middle of the best season of his career and the Knicks uh, on the verge of, you know, the six seed uh, out East, um, you know, a few games over 500. Um, it, it really is a testament to, um, you know, what RJ has, has put in over the last year. Um, and I thought a guy who's, you know, obviously RJ is a little bit standoffish with the press. Um, Randall, you mean? Uh, Randall, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, gave some really insightful answers yeah. when asked about what the what the All-Star game meant to him. Um, in particular, he, he recalled the conversation he had with Johnny Bryant. Um, Bryant, Bryant um, the Knicks assistant coach, flew out to see Randall uh, this summer. Randall first acknowledged that he didn't touch a ball for six weeks, almost two months from the season yeah. ended. That's very uncommon um, for star players in the NBA, for any player, really. Um, some guys, you know, take a few weeks off to let their body heal. Um Randall acknowledged he just the mental aspect, the grind was just too much. He needed to step away and did just that. Um, and he didn't talk about what personal stuff kind of was going on. We, I think we all assumed something was going on in his personal life. Didn't get into that so much. But what he did say about that conversation Johnny Bryan had with him was very interesting. Um, and I'll quote here. Johnny came to me in the beginning of the summer. Um, and I just had, uh, here we go. And we had an honest conversation. It helped me put my ego and pride to the side and adjust my game and look in the mirror and do what was best for the team. Randall explained, Brian asked about the year before and said, if something along the lines of, if quote, if you were your if you were your teammates and saw you acting the way you did, Sometimes with body language, showing frustration, would you want to be your teammate? I said no. So I had to look myself in the mirror and take accountability and get better and learn from it. Um, it's hard to admit when we do things wrong. It's hard to look yeah. in that mirror sometimes. Um, so I want to give credit to Randall for doing just that. Um, does he still show frustration and it, does it boil over teammates? Yes. Did he do it at the end of the third quarter when that yeah. when, he, when he had that turnover with McBride when he's waving him away and then Struz comes down and hit the three? Um, yes. You know, is that type is that still very frustrating? Absolutely. He's not a perfect player, as we said a million times, but he's a deserving all star. Um, and there's some credit for every remarkable bounce back. Um, like I said, I don't can't remember a player or athlete in recent New York sports history that has had the ups and downs and ups and downs that we've seen from Randall. Um, but he's still standing, still comes to play every night, hasn't, you know, um, and uh, he deserves credit. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you mentioned the quotes from Johnny Bryant because obviously we are Julius Randall about Johnny Bryant because number one, like you said, Julius deserves a ton of credit because we know he's a prideful guy. So I, I don't think it's easy for him to take criticism from, you know, people close within the Knicks organization or anybody really about how he was playing. But he was an absolute detriment to the Knicks last season with his play, his body language, his attitude as a leader. It was all just awful. So credit to him for taking that criticism and applying it effectively. I also got to say, when I heard those comments, it really, a light bulb kind of went off in my head about the Knicks' future with their coaching situation. Because I thought it was very 
interesting to me that Julius Randle's asked a question point blank about just like what changed for you this season. And it was not anything to do with Tom Thibodeau. And we always talk about the relationship between Randall and Tom Thibodeau and Thibodeau always trusting him and that those guys are, are, are connected to the hip. But the idea that it wasn't Thibodeau who sat him down and said, Hey, you were a nightmare last season. You cannot play that way in order for us to win. It was an assistant coach. You would think assistant coach Johnny Bryan, who um, is a kind of a rising star amongst the assistant coaching rankings. He's had NBA head coaching interviews in the past few years. Assistant coach, though, who has more to lose to stepping to the star player. It wasn't like Randall called him and said, yo, come to the crib. He's like, I'm going to your crib. And he said, hey, we need to sit down and talk about what happened last season. It was him to say, this is why you can't act the way you acted and play the way you played last year in order for us to succeed. And Randall, to see that, I saw that and said, wow, the Knicks head coach for the future is in the building and on the bench is just not the guy who's actually standing on the sidelines, drinking the Diet Coke young at the players. It's a guy that's sitting on the bench, usually with a mask on, who's running up and whispering something to Tibbs' ear <laughs> that Tibbs is probably ignoring and then moving forward. And it's Johnny Bryant. Like so many of Tom Thibodeau's defenders will point to Julius Randle's success as a player and say, well, he's getting the most out of Randle and you have to give him credit for Randle's progression. Now I know I don't have to do that. So that is not, that is not an argument for Tom Thibodeau anymore. There's not an argument for Tom Thibodeau that Julius Randle's success this year is because of Tom Thibodeau's trust in him. Tom Thibodeau getting the best out of him. Tom Thibodeau didn't do a damn thing about what Julius Randle and how he was acting last year. And now I know that there's other people in the Knicks organization who can get the best most out of these players. So now there's not the question of, well, the Knicks don't have another option at head coach. I thought that this was uh, Johnny, Ryan, Johnny Bryant's stock going way up, way up in my head regarding his future with the New York Knicks. And uh, Thibodeau's stock, which for me was already, you know, bottom line, basically, just cratering. So I'm like, wow, the one thing that I think you usually we can attach to Tom Thibodeau for credit, I can't even do that anymore. It was Johnny Bryan who got Julius Randle to get back to his all-star way. So shout out to Julius Randle and a major shout out to Johnny Bryan for having that honest conversation with Julius Randle, letting him know. Because it felt like there are a lot of people who enabled Julius's behavior last year. And was glad that there was somebody, an adult in that coaching staff in that front office i was able to say this cannot continue and this is why yeah um you know randall did praise you know he, he praised the coaching staff and tibbs and said you know the tibbs trusting them was was important etc so it wasn't like he threw tibbs under the bus but right um, I, I i did find that 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 revelation very very interesting um and um you know we'll see again we'll see if it can continue like he still needs to do a better job with it some you know it's just a personality thing um uh, that 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 I probably tend to have lend a little more credence to in terms of the success and or failure of a team. Um, I remember I think it was True Hoop that did a story maybe like it was over 10, 15 years ago, but it tracked how many times Steve Nash high fived his teammates, and it was just mm -hmm. the, the, the kind of the thrust. The the, the thesis was, um, you know, yes, he scores a lot of points and has a lot of assists, but his constant motivation and say, you know, guys that say my bad, my bad, um, you know, we'll see Grimes do that on occasion. Um, it'd be nice to see Randall do that a little. Bit bit more um but it certainly it points to the progress he's had this season is the is the maturity of the human being i think sometimes we forget these are 26 27 28 year old kids um uh, you know that, that are still learning how to how to deal with life and you know just kind of figuring all this stuff out as we do so um it's it's it's, it's cool to see um that uh, that progression uh, result in in an, a much deserved all-star berth definitely much deserved shout out to julius randall and 
you know, the fact that this is a signing that a lot of people weren't excited about, and you look back on it now, this is a two-time All-Star that signed in that offseason of disaster where they didn't get KD and Kyrie Irving. Um, you, you know, not a terrible consolation prize. You really can't say that at this point. I mean, Julius Randle has, has been really solid. Um, it's been up and down. It hasn't been necessarily the smoothest ride, but uh, a second All-Star appearance with Julius Randle, a guy who was never an All-Star before he put on a Nick uniform. Definitely uh, a big accomplishment and, and, and really great for the Nick organization. I'd have to look at the numbers, but in terms of total points and assists and rebounds, he probably has more than Kyrie and KD combined or or KD and Kawhi Leonard combined since the day they said, obviously the, the goal was to get KD and, and whoever else he wanted to bring um, in that summer of 2019. The consolation prize was Julius Randle just because, oh shit, we got this money. We got to spend it somehow. We got to get rid of <laughs> yeah. it. Um, you know, here they are. Yeah, exactly. So uh, so here we are, Julius Randle going to his second All-Star game. He will be not alongside his uh, his, his teammate, Jalen Brunson, for now. Let's see if not he yet. will. Yes, not yet. But he, he will be with uh, maybe Kevin Durant. Let's see if Kevin Durant actually plays. Right. And supposedly Kyrie Irving, who <laughs> Kyrie Irving was uh, named an All-Star starter last week. But now there's major news coming out of the NBA. As I said, we record this podcast on Friday. And news is coming in, you know, as we record about this uh, mega story that Brooklyn Nets all-star Kyrie Irving has requested a trade. That first being reported by Sham Sharania, uh, the franchise, he says, has been informed that Irving prefers to move on ahead of the February 9th trade deadline or that he will leave in free agency. Adrian Wojnarowski also had some reporting on this. He said essentially that there were trade, there were um, there were conversations about a extension that essentially didn't really go anywhere or didn't get far enough to where anything could happen in terms of Kyrie and that's coming to an agreement. So that then Kyrie decided to make this trade request on Friday. He notes that Kyrie can leave this summer. You have Wode saying that Kyrie says he will leave this summer. So mega news in the NBA that really kind of sends a uh, shockwaves throughout for pretty much every organization because Kyrie Irving we know is uh, an interesting character to say the least. Um, the Nets have been having a really good season despite a really rough start in which their coach got fired um, and they had to deal with some injuries. He caused some of that pain with some of his uh, stupid um, posts that were anti-Semitic. So um They've kind of turned all that around, and all of a sudden you feel good about the Nets. KD's been hurt. They've been kind of fluttering, but they, they've been played decent enough to where they haven't completely cratered without them. Him, KD, is supposed to have, be reevaluated either this week or next week, so he's going to be back soon. So I think there was some optimism about where the Nets could go this season once KD returns. But now you got Kyrie saying, I don't want any part of the rest of the season with the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, crazy stuff. Uh, Tommy, what what are your initial thoughts on this? I mean, you you said it sends shockwaves. It does, but it's the least shocking bit of news uh, that that you that could possibly <laughs> right. You know, it's just it's so sadly predictable. Um, you know, it's just the things fine, as you mentioned, promising, hopeful. Net fans were, you know, okay, we finally are on the right track. We got you know, we got suspended for the idiotic offensive comments and the Alex Jones, uh, you know, uh, yep. issue. He still hasn't apologized for the Alex Jones nonsense, yep. by the way. That's neither here nor there. Um, but the Knicks, that's finally back on track. Nick Claxton developing into a true, really, really good center, playing by yep. far the best basketball of his career. Some of the other pieces round out Steph, uh, Seth Curry looking like he's a little bit more healthy, getting good good contributions from Joe Harris. Um, you know, there's just 
again, light at the end of the tunnel. KD's going to come back. Kyrie's dominating fourth quarters. Um, Jacques Vaughn seems like he's settled in as, as the right coach and the right team. And of course, when things are going relatively well, and 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 over that time, you know, net fans saying, "Okay, Kyrie's playing so well, maybe we should bring him back." You know, for for right. maybe we should yeah. sign him to an extension. That was the talk. Um, could we should we sign him to an extension before you know the end of the season or next year? Maybe a three year deal, or do we do him just a two year or one year? Um, you could just see them, you know, kind of with that with that that friend of yours that's dating that really attractive girl, but she's crazy and she's <laughs> and she's and she's toxic and she's gonna yeah. ruin you know the, the person's life if he continues to stay in a union with with this individual um but for whatever reason he's you know he can't divest himself from the situation yeah. and that's what we have here you know it's just it's it's a, it's a classically toxic relationship um and and when you have a a, a person like Kyrie who's so unpredictable and, and not just unpredictable un- incredibly selfish because again let's say you want to demand the trade. Let's say for your own selfish reasons, you have decided that you need an extension in order to give your best to the team, whatever the case might be, despite the fact that the team has paid you nearly $200 million to play the better part of four seasons in which you haven't played nearly half the games. And the team has a better record in the games you haven't played than the games you ha- than the games you've been a part of, and you've delivered one t- uh, playoff series victory in the three years since you've been there. The the ultimate uh, to say the, to say that the signing of K- KD and Kyrie hasn't lived up to expectations would be a drastic understatement, the understatement of the yeah. century. Um, so again. That being said, even if that's the case, your Kyrie, you decide you want to demand a trade. Why do you have to leak it to Shams and Woj uh, a week mm. before the trade deadline? It's just, again, it's ultimate. Because even if you go to the front office and say, listen, I, I want out of here. If you're not going to sign me a new contract extension, trade me or I'm definitely walking on, on July 1st, whatever the case might be. By leaking it to the press, yes, you get your name involved and you generate some reaction, which seems to be his primary goal. But then you lessen the leverage that the Nets are going to have in any trade talks. And you look not by by not only letting other teams know that you want out, but by letting other teams know you're willing to crater an entire season again for the second straight year um, (laughs) because of your own selfish, outlandish antics. Um, The Nets got in bed with this guy. They're going to have to live with it. I don't know how they get out of it. I don't know how they resolve it. Um, but uh, the only thing I know is that I'm glad that we have Jalen Brunson, uh, that Nick fans can root for Jalen Brunson and don't have to force themselves to root for Kyrie Irving. I tell you what, I got to give my, my my great host here, uh, Tommy Beer, a lot of credit because uh, it's not like we talk about the Nets a lot on this podcast, but whenever we have mentioned Kyrie Irving and the Nets for various reasons, he's always had the caveat of, hey, you just never know what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving and this team. So do not put all your eggs in that basket. He said it every time on this podcast that they were mentioned. And here we are, February 3rd, when things looks like things are going good for the Nets. You wonder, hey, maybe they can contend. Now Kyrie lobs another grenade, as he is so great at doing, slobbing a grenade in his organization and how things are going and say, you know what, now one out. And I do think that there's a little bit of vindictiveness that comes with this trade request. I think that he understood that this was going to just – put the next Nets in the absolute worst position possible by doing it at this moment in time. You do it a week before the trade deadline. So now this is a, a storyline leading up to the trade deadline that everybody knows about. Now, if they don't trade you, this is going to be something that's hanging over the team's head for an entire rest of the way. If they don't trade him, then that becomes an issue where Kyrie's on the team, but 
he doesn't want to be there. Everybody knows that he's leaving at the end of the offseason. Then there's questions with Nets fans probably saying, hey, maybe we should have just traded him. Like, what the hell happened? Um, and then, of course, you have the fans that will say, well, why didn't you sign him for an extension? Like, what happened with that? So now you maybe turn some of your fan base against the Nets organization or maybe some of the Kyrie fans against the Nets organization. I, I know a lot of people who probably just started rooting for the Nets because Kyrie was there. So it, it, he knows what he's doing. Like, all of this is orchestrated. In some ways, it's like Machiavellian. And in some ways, I kind of almost got to give him credit for, like, wow, yeah. Like, if he would have did this when that all that stupid anti-Semitic stuff was happening, like, this doesn't really leave a dent. It's like, well, yeah, they don't want him anyway. Nobody wants to deal with him. He can request a trade, but who the hell cares? To do it now, when he's playing at the highest level he's played in a while, to do it now when the Nets look like they finally have some optimism and hope that they could win, to do it now is him sticking it to the Nets for not sticking up for him during that crap with the anti-Semitic stuff, not sticking up for him for that crap with the anti-vaccination stuff. And now he's saying, all right, now it's time to get my pound of flesh, and this is how he's going to do it. I'm very curious what a Kyrie trade on the open market looks like at this point, because I don't think any team is signing him to an extension who trades for him. I I, I don't, I mean, maybe the Lakers, like maybe, but like, do the Lakers have enough to get him? I don't know. But like, besides the Lakers, I don't I like, how could you trust them? Like, you know, that at any moment in time, he could decide, you know what? I'm just going to blow up your season because of, any reason you know right. sometimes it's even out of his control because the, the one thing we never talk about with him is also health he's a guy that gets hurt a lot he misses a lot of games just because he, he can't get on the court so not only can he credit your season by doing stuff like this he also could just you know twist the knee and be out for two months and that will uh hurt your season so i, I think that he's going to be it's definitely going to be a buyer beware for anybody who does this but we talked about how close these teams are how packed these teams are in both the east and western conference I think that there's going to be teams that will try to take this risk for just this season because they say we're so close that if we just get one star player, one piece, we can get this done. I think he can get traded. I think some people will give up something of value for him. Question is, will the Nets decide that it's, it's best for them to give up on the season? I think if you trade him, you're not you're not going to a championship. I don't think you're going to get equal value for him in terms of on the court this season. You may get draft compensation, but uh, but but will the Nets decide? Hey, even though we have a team that looks like they can maybe compete for a championship, we're just going to give up because Kyrie's quit on us. Um, that's going to be the big question. I don't see how the Nets can hold him past the, the trade deadline right now. Um, mm. I don't see how they could because I don't see how they can win a championship with him as part of the team. I know that talent trumps all in the NBA, but at some point, if chemistry and cohesion and unity mean anything, I can't see how a guy wanting to quit on his team like three different times in the span of 12 months. His teammates seem to like him. Um, you know, they they play well together. Um, you know, maybe if you're the Nets, it's worth taking, you know, rolling the dice. But again, if you're looking at the big picture of the franchise, now obviously you can't re-sign him. I mean, even for a year, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. almost tanking, you know, even if he was willing to sign for a year, which I don't think he would be. Um, you know, we saw him kind of opt back in for that one year max payment. I think another that was because that he that was he got he would get th- basically 39 million from the Nets or five million from the Lakers. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. And he chose the money. Um, this situation, he could get, you know, big payday from the Nets, but he could also sign a one year deal with another team that has cap space if they just wanted to give him a one year deal. Maybe a team gives him a two year deal with like half the second season guaranteed. I don't know what the case is, but it's certainly the odds of him being a net on opening night next season are 5%, 10%, never. Yeah, never. yeah. 
Yeah. It's, it's very, very hard low. to read. Very, very low. That being so, that being said, there's still so if you're not going to resign him, I guess there's still a possibility you could do a sign and trade, maybe keep that in your back pocket. That's one of the in the in the let's keep Kyrie column. That's one of the pros. Um, is that you know, even if he you're committed to never him never playing for the Nets once the the, the the end of the final buzzer in the final game of the season, you still might be able to get something via sign and trade. You know, um, that's a that's theoretically a possibility, but again, if I'm Sean Marks. Um, you know, I, I got KD here, you know, maybe, you know, and who knows how this impacts KD, maybe Durant requests a trade this off season. I have to, at some point as an organization, whether it's Josiah or Sean Marks or somebody in the upper, in the front office says, listen, we can lose without this guy. We have, we, we can lose with this guy. We have lost with him. Let's do something right for the, let, let's, let's, if we talk about a culture, let's show we have a culture. You know, they, they said the right thing when he did the, 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 the idiotic anti-vax stuff last season, how, yep. you know, we're, we're all on the same page. And if you're, you, we want you in or out, you, you make the choice. He made his choice. And then there's injuries and, and Harden gets hurt and Durant gets hurt. And they bring them back in and they make these exceptions. Um, but yeah, as far from the Nets' perspective, I think that they will accept if even if it's forty cents in the dollar, maybe they can get sixty cents in the dollar in terms yeah. of value. You know, commensurate value. I think you have to take that if you're Brooklyn. If you can get a decent starting point guard, I, I think you, you have to take it. And there's a bunch of them floating around. Um, obviously, you don't want to take a guy a, a Kyle Lowry situation where he has money guaranteed next year that's going to hurt you. Yeah. But Fred Van Vliet's uh, uh, an expiring contract. John, just off the top of my head, John Wall on a, on a one-year, cheap one-year deal. You know, the Clippers is another team that might be crazy enough to take a flyer on Kyrie. They, they're a team that kind of goes year to year, and you never know with George and Kawhi staying healthy. Um, so there, there are teams out there that have point guards to trade. Um, and I just think there's other guys. Um, I mean, I wonder if Dallas, I wonder if Dallas gets in. I mean, they got, you know, especially Dimwitty, a guy who played for the Nets, played well for them. Played the uh, best so basketball career. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they have some contracts on that team that they could probably match that could make an offer. And, you know, I think Dallas is a decent team, but I don't think anybody thinks that they can win a title. They lost Jalen Brunson. Maybe right. this is their replacement for him. You know, that would that would be huge. It's the, if the if as if the trade deadline couldn't get fascinating enough. This throws another wrench into it because this is just an, an immense. Obviously, not only impacts Brooklyn, but there's you know 25 other teams that will be mentioned over the next five days um, that that could potentially make a move for him. So this is uh, this is fascinating. But yeah, if I'm Brooklyn, I, this is the final reminder I need. It's like before I walk down the aisle, she cheats on me one more time. You know, I, got, I, I got to get out of this. I still have a chance. Um, let me keep my pride and my dignity at least and part ways with this thing. Oh, man. That's got to be the last word of this podcast <laughs> today. Um, so thank you guys so much for listening in to this edition of Orange and Blue Bloods, a Odyssey original and WFA podcast hosted by myself and, of course, the great Tommy Beer. Tommy, let the people know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. Have a great weekend, everybody. You can find me, EJ underscore Stewart, on Twitter, Action EJ on Instagram and TikTok. As Tommy said, have a great weekend, everybody. We'll be back next week with more episodes of Orange and Blue Plus. Make sure, again, if you're listening on your audio, uh, on your audio device or audio streaming service, make sure you hit the auto download feature where you can get these episodes. We drop every week. We've got three more episodes coming to you next week. Plenty to talk about. It's going to be trade deadline week, so it should be a lot of fun. Thank you guys again for checking out this episode. Tommy, I'm EJ. Take these guys. Peace.